In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Uh, we'll be starting today a new mini-series under the Dogma Doctrine category. Um, we've just completed a mini-series of desert spirituality that focused on repentance, and we'll return to the desert after a few dogmatic lectures. Uh, I debated a great deal on how this should be done. Um, in most all books and seminary classes that I've come across, this is usually the order that topics are discussed. Uh, there's usually a talk on the attributes of God, his love, his mercy, his power, uh, his all-knowingness, etc. cetera. Uh, and then there's a discussion on what it means for there to be one God in essence and three persons and how that's not three gods and how it's different from pagan belief and, and how it's consistent with monotheism. Then usually that's followed by a talk on creation and what man was originally supposed to be and how everything got jumbled up. Uh, then a discussion on uh, the prophecies that point to the Savior, the return to what once was, and how Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Then there's a discussion usually on, on Christ, on who he is, what he is, the effects of his words, his actions, the economy of salvation, etc. And that usually dovetails into talk of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost with the foundation of the church on earth and its continued presence amongst us until the last days, the resurrection of the dead, the last judgment, etc. So most books that you pick up will, will usually go in this order. Um, it's a chronological way of looking at things. It's how our mind works because it's our experience of reality. We didn't exist at some point we, in, in our own individuality. I didn't exist before. Uh, and then I came into existence. I was born. I was, uh, I develop. And then at some point I die. And then there is uh, something to, to follow this as well. That's how our, our mind goes. And so we, we try to put that sort of framework, that understanding of chronology on everything around us and on history in general. Uh, however, I feel it may be more conducive for us uh, to gain a fuller picture of Christianity by starting with our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there's a deeply profound reason for this. And that reasoning is, is what I wish to discuss today before we get into a deeper discussion on Christ. Um, I, I, I want to lay out the, the, the foundational elements, the framework of why, uh, why it's important uh, to start with Christ. Uh, and why it probably makes more sense to do that than speaking about uh, about all of the other things that we usually do. Um, and we'll see how that develops. So uh, all of the, the, the reasonings that we're going to be going through here today uh, are biblical verses that show us why it's important for us to be able to view things through the lens of Christ. Um, so again, if we usually start with a discussion on, uh, God and who the father is and his attributes, etc., cetera, uh, Christ himself tells us no one comes to the father, but by me. 
the key to knowing the Father is the Son. We cannot know the Father except through the Son. I want to reiterate that. No one can know the Father except if they know the Son. When we start with discussions about God, the only reason why we know what we know about God and His divinity is because of the Son. Otherwise, we're just coming up with abstract, uh, esoteric uh, thoughts that, that are not really specific to, uh, to God as we know Him as a person. Uh, you might be able to, to extrapolate other things by being able to look around you and look at nature and see the order and structure of things and uh, know things from a scientific standpoint. Uh, but uh, in large part, what, what that will uh, allow for you to arrive at is that there's a higher power, a God, uh, if you will. Uh, but that's deism. There's, there's nothing personal about that God. Uh, that God would just be the power that makes things happen, but, but totally unknowable to us. Um, and there are many people that are in the world that are deists that, that, uh, uh, can, I suppose be, uh, they acknowledge themselves maybe sometimes as agnostic or, uh, you know, someone that believes in a higher power, but doesn't really know who that power is and doesn't want to be tied down to a certain, uh, uh, set of beliefs. Uh, but of course, that's, that's, that's not the starting point for us. Um, when contemporary talks start to focus on how all of the Abrahamic religions worship the same God, for example, this is, of course, not true. Uh, because again, the only way to the Father is through the Son. And the Son is not recognized in either Judaism or Islam or any other offshoots. Uh, not recognized as Son of God and as God. And that's important because, as Christ himself very clearly states, no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, so if we want to get to know who the Father is uh, and attributes about the Father, our real starting point should be Christ. And not, you know, the, the way that we usually go about doing things, which is looking at things from a chronological standpoint, where you start with, the Old Testament, and you try to glean things from there uh, and uh, kind of pretend that you don't know something about the New Testament and move forward and read things and be scandalized by certain things and say, how could that have been representative of a God that is X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. Uh, and then you come to the New Testament and then there's some sort of incongruence there. And then this is the, you know, this is the faith that we have. And then you say, well, maybe then uh, there's some sort of an issue between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, that's usually what will end up happening if you start reading the Bible from the Old Testament in a, in a chronological way. Uh, but that's not what's been given to us. Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, we see, speaking about Christ, it says, who being the brightness of his glory, of the Father's glory, being the brightness, he's, Christ is described, the Logos is described as the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In Hebrews, it's outright stated why it's the case that we need to know 
who Christ is in order to know who the Father is. Because Christ is the express image of the Father. He is the image of the Father. He is how we can see the Father, even though he is not the Father. That's a very confusing thing to think of, and we're going to be getting into that um, in this series. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to, to highlight here is when we use that, that word image, and we say that he's the express image in, in the original Greek, the word that is, is used there is icon. So he is the icon of the Father. Um, just as when we see an icon, like if we take a look at any of the icons here, for example, we'll say this is, this is not, this, for example, is not literally St. Ephraim the Syrian. It is an icon of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Uh, but we look at the icon and it gives us a, a window into St. Ephraim the Syrian. Um, now, in a way that's a lot more personal than that, and not in an inanimate way, Christ is the icon of the Father, and we're, we're going to get into what that means. But why that's also important is because how it is that it reflects uh, on us. Um, here Christ says again in uh, John 14, he says, uh, Philip, Christ is pre presenting some things and, and Philip ends up having a discussion with him here or he makes a request. Christ says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and we shall be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so this is, this is you know, very indicative, again, of, of how, uh, how we should structure our understanding of who God is. Uh, because what Christ is saying here is that the knowledge of the Father comes through him. And if you know Christ, if you've experienced Christ, if you see Christ, not just with your physical eyes, which is what Philip was, was asking for. He says, show us the Father, show us the Father. Uh, and Christ says, if, if, you know, whoever it is that has seen me has seen the Father. And again, we're going to get into what, what it is that that means and why that does not mean that Christ is the Father. Uh, but that's so important, again, because it, it, it just highlights for us uh, that the only way that we can know anything about God or the Trinity uh, or any of that is by the Son. And of course, the only way that we know about the Son or that we can say, as it says uh, in, in the New Testament as well, the only way that you can say that Jesus Christ is Lord is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the they all tie in together, but it's important for us to be able to, to have this sort of starting point and why it was that we started with desert spirituality as well and not just jumping into dogmatics is because the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the person is what allows for that person to be able to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. And once, once that kind of uh, illumination is, is able to be made, to delve more into who it is that Christ is. Um, 
you could say, for example, as most people, I think when they, when they <clears throat> want to start looking more deeply into their faith, they'll pick up the Bible and they'll say, okay, I'll start reading. And they pick up, uh, they pick up the Bible and they start reading from, from Genesis. They read from page one. Uh, and Christ says something about this. Uh, when he's on the road to Emmaus, he has this conversation with these, with these two disciples. He says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Christ highlights something that's so important. He says, look, you guys have had the Old Testament. You've had it now for some time. Uh, and people uh, uh, agonize over uh, reading it and interpreting it and trying to understand it in a certain way. Uh, but the way to understand all of the Old Testament is through Christ. Uh, his response to them indicates something profound. Someone may know the entirety of the scripture, in this case referring specifically when he says that he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It refers to the Old Testament and its prophecies. Uh, they may know all of that in its entirety. They might have it memorized uh, and have no idea that it must be viewed from a different lens than what everyone had supposed it should be. He had to open their eyes, and again, not their eyes. He had to open their eyes to allow them to see the prophecies were about him, that he is the one that is the Savior, that the means by which we are to understand the Old Testament can only be from a Christocentric standpoint. That is to say, all of the Bible, and truly all of life, since he himself says that he is the life, must be viewed through Christ. So you don't start with the Old Testament and get to Christ. We, don't, we, we have the luxury of not having to do that. We don't have to. Uh, we can start with Christ, and we can look back. And this is, this is how he opens their eyes, and he opens their understanding. And so when it comes to us, and we see that we are made in the image, it says in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. If we're going to have a discussion about us, about who man was designed to be made in the image of, it's Christ. Christ is the image of the Father, and God creates man in his image, in the image of Christ. So if we're going to speak about man, what man was, quote-unquote, supposed to be like, we're not speaking about what Adam was, but who Adam was supposed to grow in the image and likeness of, and that's Christ. And so again, we get into all these kinds of discussions and um, debates as to, you know, what was it like for Adam before the fall? What was man supposed to be before the fall? Um, and we know what Adam was supposed to be, not because we know what Adam was, but because we know uh, who he was made in the image of, and that's Christ. And so again, the center is Christ. If we want to understand the Old Testament, if we want to understand ourselves, if we want to understand why we're here, what we're called for, what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be now, we have to look to Christ. 
as being that center point. And so that takes us to being a Christian. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth. If we're going to have a discussion about why Christianity is true, not just religion, not just believing in a God, but believing in the true God, God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we must start with the one who called himself truth. If he's the truth, if he's the absolute truth, and he is, then we have to start with that truth. What does it mean to be the truth? What does it mean when a man says such a thing? How is that received when he said that? And then we see in John, in the Gospel of John, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so again, if we're going to be talking about what we're going towards, the last days, the last judgment, etc., he says, I will raise him up at the last day. He uh, will affect this. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be raised up? He's clearly the key for this raising up, which also means that he's the hope of our existence. Uh, and then again, in, in Hebrews, with, with regards to this, in terms of being a Christian and, and how we consider Christian life, uh, Hebrews 4, 15 says, for we have not a high priest, and the high priest here is referring to um, Christ himself, Jesus Christ. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Is Christ just whatever good attributes we can think of perfected? Such that if you were to take the most loving the kindest, the most gentle, the most humble person, and imagine that in your mind, that would be Christ. Do we just think of him as a disembodied ideal? And I think that many of us kind of fall into that. That's not to say that that's wrong or that he's not those things. Um, but it, it almost seems as though, you know, when, when we have that common trope where we say, what would Jesus do? It's, it, it, it's less so, what would this person who is Jesus, what would he do? And more so, what is the abstract, perfect thing to do? What is the most loving thing? What's the most kind thing? What's the most gentle thing to do? Um, but that, that's not being Christian, right? That's just being virtuous, whatever that might mean, whatever you, know, you define as being virtue, and extracting that. And there are many people that speak about that even today. Um, uh, many contemporary speakers that, that don't even identify as Christ, but when they speak about Christ and they speak about how it was that he was written about, they would say that he is, he is the, the, the peak of the ideals. If you can take all of human ideals and put them together into one person and describe that person, that would be Jesus Christ, which again, I'm not saying is not true, uh, but it's backwards because it makes it, you know, just, just this, this sort of shadowy figure that is the embodiment of the ideal rather than a real person. And so if we're going to be Christian, it doesn't just mean being kind or good or virtuous or humble or whatever it is that you might be able to take from an abstract point of view. It means specifically to be like Christ, right? To be a son of Christ. Um, 
and so there's these fundamentals that 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 we're going to be covering uh in this series uh and that is namely going to be who is jesus did he really exist what does it mean that he was fully god what does it mean that he was fully man what does it matter that he is one person and not two what is salvation and is it enough to only know his teachings and we'll get into why these things are important either from a contemporary standpoint or from an ancient standpoint uh, which still spills over into a lot of contemporary talk uh, because we we need to know who it is that Christ is before we start speaking about Christianity um, and why that is important for us if we're going to read the Bible to be able to read it within the proper lens, how it is that we're going to understand things about God, how, how we're going to understand things about ourselves, how we're supposed to live, etc. The center of this must be Christ. Um, and later, after we understand more of that, more of what has been revealed to us uh, by Christ through the Holy Spirit uh, about the Father, then we will be able to go back and, and, and with, a, with a, a firmer understanding and a, and a better foundational point to be able to say, uh, who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, what does it mean to be Trinity and, and get into these other kinds of discussions. Um, and hopefully it will be of some benefit that way. Uh, because uh, by virtue of the fact that it is um, uh, a doctrinal and dogmatic discussion, some of these things uh, will obviously lend themselves to many questions. Uh, and so I encourage you all, uh, if you're, uh, listening to this and watching and and have questions to reach out especially about these topics um, and if it becomes uh, too challenging or too difficult not to hold back and to ask because again the center of our lives is Christ and we should understand who he is and what he is to us uh, for us to be able to to try to live this life uh, in light of him uh, pray for us Pray for me, pray for the service, pray for the church. Uh, and God willing, uh, one day we'll be able to have these kinds of talks again in person. But for now, uh, keep us all in your prayers um, and reach out again if there are any questions, uh, even at this point that you'd want to have clarified uh, moving forward in this section. Uh, we'll take some weeks on this uh, and try not to make it too cumbersome. And then again, sort of bounce back and forth between that and desert spirituality. Uh, and then we'll just take it from there. And glory be to God forever. Amen.